Welcome to MD Talk. I'm your host, LaQuinta Jernigan. And for this episode of MD Talk, I am delighted to be joined by Professor Aneta Nemechek. Aneta is the Medical Director of Clinical Research and Professor of Pediatric and Medical Oncology at Oregon Health and Science University. She's also dedicated to promoting diversity in healthcare and volunteers in a range of roles for incredible charities, some of which include the Board of Directors at Be The Match, Executive and Steering Committee Member at Pediatric Blood and Marrow Transplant Consortium, and Advisory Board Member at Nick Wilson Charitable Group. Together, we're going to discuss her experience as a medical doctor and a professor, and how these experiences have influenced her to dedicate herself to making healthcare equitable and the vital role that clinical research plays in creating health equity. Aneta, welcome to MD Talk. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your very, very busy schedule to be with us today. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here and an honor to have uh, this discussion uh, with you today. Amazing. And I mean, honestly, just reading off your, you know, very condensed bio, mind you, because I could have spent probably another minute just discussing, you know, the different charities and organizations that you're a part of. So I've only mentioned a few, but just reading off everything that you're doing and and your current role, um, it is truly, I say again, thank you for taking the time because I don't believe you have any spare time in your day, given all that you're doing. So it really is an honor for us to be uh, built into your day today. There's always time for this. Well, thank you. And, and it clearly, you, you make the time somehow because you're doing some amazing things. And I just want to set the scene with our, uh, with our, with our audience today to understand why, why we're here today, why we want to talk about um, equity um, in healthcare and why that's important. So between 2016 and 2018, over 74,000 people were hospitalized for sickle cell disease. 93% of these people were Black, compared to just 1.8% of white people. Stem and bone marrow transplants are the only cure for this disease. However, the odds of finding a match are just 29% for Black people, compared to 78% for white. In 230 oncology drug trials between 2008 and 2018, race was reported in only 145 trials. That's 63% of total trials. Black and Latinx patients are consistently underrepresented relative to the U.S. population and trials used for FDA cancer drug approvals. So we clearly have a huge, a huge problem here. And it's one that if we, we don't solve it, if we don't find ways to address some of these challenges, we're going to find ourselves with lots of um, indications that remain untreatable in certain populations. And, and that is just simply unacceptable, especially as advanced as um, science is today. So let's jump right in and talk about this, Anita. So your dedication to creating diverse and accessible health care is, of course, amazing. Um, can you explain to us a little bit about why this topic matters so, so deeply to you? Absolutely. Um, well, I, I am a, a Puerto Rican of origin. I am a Latino doctor. Uh, we are already pretty underrepresented in medicine. Uh, but one of the things I've noticed through my career and my education is that not everybody receives the amazing care that we have to deliver in the developed countries in healthcare, uh, and that it is not equally distributed across races and ethnicities, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, and a variety of other other causes. So, um, as a physician uh, trying to deliver the best care for all my patients, uh, I notice that, and um, you can either step on the sidelines and decide to witness it, or you can be part of a solution and, and advocate and try to change 
what is not working. Um, and I do that for myself. I do that for my family. I do that for all my relatives and for all my patients. Uh, it's it's not, I do not believe to stand on the sidelines on this topic. I think it's really important that physicians act as advocates uh, as well uh, as deliver medical care uh, because advocacy is part of medical care. You're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, so many people look at this as like, well, this this problem, this this treatment of health of mistreatment of, of different races is, oh, it's it's a it's an economic problem. It's only happening to to this population. They try to put it in buckets. But for me, I personally feel like we the, the awareness that we're trying to raise now is that it's it's not. It, it's across all all types of socioeconomic backgrounds, education levels. It, the problem exists specifically based on. On, on race in this country. And, and and you can't put it into buckets and you can't say that, you know, this, this doesn't concern me because, oh, I sit over here. And I, and I think that when it when we talk about advocating for, for patients and advocating for ourselves, um, the conversation that we have amongst communities of color is exactly that, you know, like find yourself a doctor who, who will listen to your problems, who will allow you to advocate for yourself, who will not make you feel like you're second, you know, that you're wrong or that you're bringing things to the table or the conversation that aren't relevant. And um, so often it's hard to find to find those types of positions for some people. Um, so, you know, it's it's great to hear it for one to have you here as a physician um, to talk about how you kind of, you know, take that as a priority. But, um, you know, also to hear that you make it a priority by explaining that advocacy is something that we all need to do, even amongst your 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 family and your friend groups. What do you think are the main reasons for such racial disparity when we're specifically talking about bone marrow and stem cell donations when Black people are so disproportionately impacted by sickle cell disease? So that there are, just like in what we were just talking about, many reasons for this. Um, the, the history of the bone marrow um, registry uh, that date back, dates back to the 80s. Um, um, Kind of explains how how we have lagged behind in the uh, recruitment and and of donors of color. Uh, this started somewhere in the Midwest in Minnesota in the 1980s, and people were signing in voluntarily. This was happening in places of worship, or if you knew somebody that had had a disease that was getting treatment for cancer. And it has evolved today to where we have a very large registry uh, called the Be the Match Registry, which essentially aims at recruiting everybody. Uh, it is still headquartered in Minnesota. It is probably one of the most diverse organizations that I work with and an amazing place to um, uh, to, to work, according to the employees that work there. Uh, the goal is to make sure that everybody has a donor. Um, and that has changed significantly from what it started a long time ago. Um, and there are different ways in which we're trying to do that. One is, is making sure that the donors uh, know that they can sign up. Um, that uh, has very different cultural connotations across races and ethnicities and places where you live and your background with medicine. So we're trying to um, meet people where they're at, uh, educating them about the importance of it, either with patient stories or with understanding that what the process involves, which is something that scares some people and it's a relatively simple procedure. Uh, we're also trying to also understand why uh, some members of some race, races and ethnicities, uh, the Black community being the most effective, uh, um, why can we not find donors? And our genetics are really complicated. Uh, depending on our ancestry and, and where our genes come from, uh, we have very complex um, makeover of, of, our, of, our, of our body. 
And um, uh, by ancestry, um, the black population has one of the most complex uh, uh, genetic uh, makeovers just because of the very long history of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 of the race. Uh, so it's really hard to find two of the same. Uh, and when you compare it to other races. So when you're trying to look for a needle on a haystack, you're gonna have a hard time. And uh, so things we've done is increase the number of donors, right? Making people understand why donating is important, that donation is safe, that donation can save the life of people uh, that are like you, um, and people that you never, you may never know uh, as a volunteer. And also um, trying to understand the biology of why people don't match and figuring out is there something we can do to the process that we use on a transplant that then we can allow less matching and end up in the same place with the same outcomes and give an opportunity to people? And that's kind of where we're at today. Um, 10, 15 years ago, I would say if you don't have a donor that matches you fully, you cannot have a transplant. Today, because of biology and advances in science, we are in a place when we can say you can have a partially matched transplant and you can have the same outcomes that someone that doesn't have a, uh, that, that has a full match. And that's, that has really changed uh, what we do uh, because now when people come in, uh, the door is more open, the, the options are more open. You have more, more options, including uh, people that are have matches from your family uh, uh, in the, and if you cannot find somebody in the registry and that wasn't possible um, a couple decades ago. Yeah, that that's amazing. and. One of the questions for you, um, when, when you're going into communities and raising awareness about donation, right, and why it's important, how do you tackle that? Because I just think back to, you know, when we were in the pandemic and we were trying to raise awareness for the COVID vaccine and why you should take it. And that educational component in some within some communities was very challenging because of the mistrust of the medical community and clinical research and things like that. So I imagine when you're talking about bone marrow, um, like donations and things like that, it's an even difficult, more difficult kind of conversation to have um, to kind of gain that that trust. So what are some of the tactics that you use when you're going to these communities to educate them on this process and why it's so important? Um, I think I think the, the biggest tactic, and I, I call it an art more than anything, is cultural humility. Uh, I can't pretend to go to a community that 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 I am not part of uh, in terms of race and ethnicity and walk in, barge in, <laughs> uh, give my speech and walk away. That is not community work. Uh, as I mentioned before, you have to meet people where they're at. Uh, you have to walk in with the community, right? So we partner with the community when we deliver this. I, I am I am a big believer that if people understand the process, if people know why things are happening and why they're important, everybody engages. Very few people don't. Um, and and that's really that's really what it's all about. Um, I have a lot of medical knowledge, but I can also say it very wrong, right? I need to work with the people in the community to make sure that the message gets delivered properly and that people get their questions answered, hear what they want to hear, not what I want to say. Um, and that that understand why I'm there and why we want to do what we want to do, uh, and then it's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We we've talked about that on um, on this podcast quite a bit when it when we when we speak about raising um, awareness for clinical research within diverse communities. You know, there's always has to be cultural awareness, and you know, we really do believe in using our community ambassadors. You know, 
becoming a part of the community, using members that are already well-trusted in the community to support some of that outreach and that, and that education. So one of the things that has been helpful to me is, is to understand the concept that, that as humans, we never, we never trust something that we cannot understand. So when speaking to communities, I, I depart from that premise as we're preparing the information we're gonna give, uh, you have to turn a very big listening ear <laughs> uh, uh, to the community and hear what they want to hear from you before before you speak to them. And, and I feel that a lot gets carried through when, when, we, when we achieve that goal um, uh, with, with the people that we speak with um, and try to educate. I would agree 100% listening and then and then responding, listening to what their concerns are, what their questions are, and then answering. And then, you know, another piece of that when it comes to clinical research is not then just leaving, right? You know, coming back, um, coming back with, with support, with resources, finding ways to other ways to engage that community um, as a whole, working with the locals, with the schools, teaching, you know, about different careers in clinical research and what whatnot and helping support and fund programming. So definitely not just taking from these communities and, you know, for our own insights and research, but also how do we, you know, take that and give back and make that a full loop um, and really truly build that trust within the community. And I think that that's probably a really good segue into my next question for you, Anita, and that is like, in your mind, what do you think needs to happen to create better access and diversity in clinical research? I and mean, we just talked about some of it working with communities, but Outside of that, what else do you think needs to happen? Um, well, this is a this is a big one for me. Um, uh, clinical research is part of medical care. Uh, having access to clinical research as a patient opens the the door to a variety of options for treatment or for supportive care or for learning about diseases that you wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, there are so many things that need to happen to create better access and diversity. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, but the first thing is we need to acknowledge that we need to increase access and diversity. I, I think um, teams that do research like mine need to sit and and really acknowledge we are not delivering the same care to all the members of our community. And here are the reasons why, right? It's our own bias. Um, we all come in with bias to everything we do. Uh, it is a bias of the patient because they're also human. It is transportation, it is financial stress, it is not knowing what clinical research is. Uh, and there's, there's, of course, systemic racism involved in all of this. And I think um, for us to change that, there's not a magic button you can push. Every person in the, in the, in the chain has to be involved. The patient uh, needs to have better knowledge about it, so we need to teach about it. We have to reduce the obstacles that, that are there for clinical research. If you have to get on an airplane to get that type of treatment, that's a problem, right? Um, uh, we also need to, to make things a little easier. So uh, there's a lot of work going around um, about something called decentralization of clinical trials, which is essentially meeting the patient where they're at. Can we do this closer to home? Can we not have you have to come to clinic four or five times in a month? Um, uh, what are the questions we really need to ask? And also patient-related outcomes. If a drug works and you end up with worse quality of life, the drug didn't work, right? So that is a really important question in clinical research. Um, and I, I, think, I think all of those things need to happen for us, us to increase diversity. We also need the people that fund the research to 
stand with us on this. Um, it cannot be a task given to the investigator only. It's a task that belongs to everybody that's part of this. And, and to increase diversity, we're going to have to increase our expenses and, and have some things available uh, to communities that, that need them uh, to be able to have them access the same that people with more advantages uh, have available to them. I mean, honestly, you just, I know that there's a lot, a lot that we could do it. I think that, you know, you would take, you know, much more time than we have in this podcast to, to, to address all of the, um, all of the things that need to happen. But I think you just really highlight some, highlighted some of the main points. And again, things that we've talked about on this podcast um, many times and things that, the, you know, the company that I work for, MD Group, have been standing on a soapbox, um, you know, kind of shouting at the top of our lungs with our within our customer base with the sponsors about what needs to be funded to make sure that we are truly creating access to clinical research because like you said i mean if there aren't if there are not opportunities for reduce reduction in travel um, reduction in expenses or at least financial coverage for the expenses that a patient incurs if we're not creating those pathways to clinical research then it's never going to be accessible by people in general that don't fit into one set bucket of individuals that you know, have the financial means to cover all of these things on their own. Um, so we've got to make it more easy to participate in research. And I think that, you know, that's a that's a huge component. But also, you know, just really looking at some of our protocol designs and making sure that we're, you know, when it comes to inclusivity and exclusivity, like, you know, are we really thinking about the patient here? Are there things that we can do within the protocol that that increase access alone within within just the protocol design? Because you know, sometimes protocols are designed in a way that that really prohibits participation from for, for a lot of people. How do you think, you know, when we, we talk about us collectively, you know, the patient, the, the site, the sponsors, how do you think that we can all work together to achieve truly equitable health care? I think all hands on deck. <laughs> Um, the, the care of a patient in the healthcare system starts the minute they start looking for healthcare, right? It doesn't, it doesn't start when they walk into the clinic. Um, uh, understanding the process and leaning the process, I think we really, really need to lean healthcare uh, to make it easier, more accessible to people. What, what is it that we really need to do um, so that everybody can have access uh, to the same product, if you want to think of healthcare as a product. Uh, and, and also asking the question, who are we missing? Every time you design something in healthcare, I think that question needs to be asked in a room. All right, we designed this pretty fancy thing we're going to do, or this pretty fancy clinic, or this pretty fancy technology. Uh, who, are, who are we missing? Who is going to get access to this? I think if we would ask that question, before we roll things over, we would probably do better off um, because we don't. We ask it in retrospect when we we look back and we go, "Oops, we left a lot of people behind." Right? Um, I I think that is where I would start, uh, and for us to understand all of us that this is an issue. I think I think there are still some people out there that don't believe that there's inequitable access to healthcare in the U.S. and we are one of the worst countries in the world. <laughs> So um, I think we need to acknowledge we have a problem. Absolutely. And I love that. Who are we missing? I mean, I think that that's, that's pretty impactful. If, if, if that question is genuinely asked every time we create something, who are we missing? You're absolutely right. 
what key actions, Anita, do you do you want the medical industry to take to create tangible change? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Our healthcare industry is becoming impossible. And I think yeah. I think we are in a very interesting slippery slope of making things so expensive that only no, the top one percent of the US is going to be able to reach some of the of the things we're creating. Um, I think we really need to make a stop. Um, as I said at the beginning, we are all physicians and advocates. We need to speak up about this now, not later, or it's going to be not fixable. Uh, and I, I think, I think um, as we de develop things, now there's there's this tendency in, in the medical industry to have the administrator side of things, and then the doctor side of things, and the nurses nurses side of things. We all need to get on the table as as these decisions are being made, because we are not we are we are a business because healthcare unfortunately is a business in this country, but but we have a mission that we need to stick to, uh, uh, and that that is delivering the best care we have to the patients we serve. Uh, if we miss that mission, uh, we will not be doing the right thing uh, for our communities. Yeah, absolutely, and like you said, all hands on deck. And, you know, Anaya, you the, in the beginning of our conversation today, you said that you, you're not someone who stands on the sidelines. You know, you you are you know, this is an important topic for you and you're going to do everything you can to speak, speak up about it. And, you know, for for me personally, the start of this podcast came from a very similar place where, you know, we were in the place we were right after the pandemic started and. You know these inequities and and healthcare and the issues that we discussed today they've been around forever right this isn't new um we've 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 built up to this place and and it's it's something that we've we've been battling for a long time but i think that a lot of things just came more to light in the public eye in a way that a lot of people who weren't paying attention to it now could not avoid it seeing that there are these issues that we have and i think that was the point for me where you know, for so long, you do these little things to make change, right? And you're you're like, it's not enough. I need to be louder. I need to be louder. And that's where this podcast was born. It was my personal plea for like, I need to do something. And I don't know who's going to listen, but I just need to be able to speak as loud as I can to as many people as I can about these challenges what, that that exist in healthcare and, and, and see if we can rally more people, more like-minded people to talk about this topic and get the word out there. Um, and so, you know, having you today on this episode, Anita, is really, truly a gift because, you know, clearly you're not sitting on the sidelines and you're doing so much good work. And I'm really hoping that, you know, some of the things that we talked today, talked about today resonate with others to allow them to get off the sidelines as well and, and use their voice and resources for change. So again, I just want to say thank you, Anita, so much for being here. And um, I, you're involved in so many organizations. Is there... What are some ways that people can get involved in some of the organizations and nonprofits that you work with that are fighting this problem? Yeah, so um, at the beginning of this, I mentioned Be The Match. I think that is a great organization to get involved with if you're interested in bone marrow donation and transplant uh, of bone marrow and stem cells. Um, they have lots of volunteer activities. There's, a, particularly for the younger people, there's a Be The Match on campus uh, where um, the students help uh, recruit donors or potential donors for the registry. So that's a great activity. Uh, if you are um, between the ages of 18 and 40, uh, please consider signing up for the registry. 
Uh, it is voluntary. They send you swabs home. You swab your cheek, put it in the mail. Uh, you may never get called uh, because, again, this is just like looking for a needle in a haystack. Uh, but you join the registry and then you get more information uh, that way. Um, uh, the other the other thing for sickle cell disease, which you know you you mentioned in this, uh, there are many organizations that uh, do patient advocacy. Uh, right now, particularly as new treatments for sickle cell disease are coming uh, coming around, it's going to be really important to hear that patient voice, as um, you know the world prices these medications uh, and makes them accessible or not accessible depending on which direction we go. Um, that's another opportunity. Um, and then I just wanted to share that there's you now for physicians that are listening to this, we we can do public health work. Uh, you don't need to be a public health um, uh, master's or major to do any of this. We we have right now for the Latino community in particular, uh, a, a group that have gotten together with uh, um, a television station, Telemundo, to um, educate the community. And we're, we're having community forums to learn what they need to learn from us. And then we're generating videos uh, about cancer care so that they learn about it. And uh, we're, we're, we're developing that uh, as part of a grant. So it's it's not that hard to be engaged. If you if you see something that you don't like in the healthcare system, don't look the other way. There, there's always something you can do. It can be very small, it can be huge. Um, uh, but but don't look the other way. That's what I would say. Well, I mean, you just couldn't say it any better than that. There's there's no excuse to sit on the sidelines. <laughs> there's plenty of opportunities to get involved. Well, I, I have to say, you know, thank you. Thanks again, Anita, for being here. Thank you to our audience for listening. Um, if you've enjoyed our conversation today, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, as it helps people like you who are committed to driving industry change find us. For more content around key issues in the clinical research industry, please feel free to follow us on social media at MD Group International on Twitter, and you can find us on LinkedIn by searching um, MD Group, or feel free to visit our blog at mdgroup.com. And I think the best way to leave today is to just remind everyone who's listening the next time you're at a, a meeting, a board meeting, reviewing a protocol, thinking about the next med device or health technology that's going out there. Don't forget, uh, in Anita's words, to ask yourself, who are we leaving out? We can all take that pledge to do that. I think that to Anita's point, it will make big change. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be well. <laughs> <laughs>